Evil Podcast. This is Chris Jansen. This podcast is dedicated to truth seekers, people who love freedom, those who want to make a difference in the world, those who want to change themselves. Can you imagine a world without evil? Do you believe it's possible? Well, this podcast is endeavoring to make change and to work towards that goal. Tonight, I have with me a guest, a gentleman named Jim Cost, who is a musician who's been shut down by COVID. Um, Jim Cost has some great insights to share with you tonight, and I'm proud to bring him onto this podcast. So, you must do, um, is it music you do or something? Are you talking about gigs? Yeah. Yeah, I oh. did for a long time. You know, I was doing touring up until like the mid 2000s. And then um, my mom got sick and I was just finishing up a tour and uh, my brother was taking care of her and he needed help. So I went out to Bethlehem and commuted into the city and I got work doing like as an adjunct doing like stuff, music for dance and theater and all kinds of stuff like that. Oh, okay. Supplemental musician. And so that's what I've been doing for really the past 15 years, more or less. And then ironically, you know, I was working my way back into getting gigs. And literally the night I was going to go to my first jam session was the night, first night of the lockdown. Wow. So it really just kind of, you know, it, it, it was funny. So it was really poignant have happened what happened yeah it's like the timing is like you have to ask is it meant to be is this all <laughs> well it's a combination of it made it made me fit it made me think about a lot of things you know and as you know as things you know really the news kind of tightened here it made me think more or less that you know what i really saw chris was that a lot of my colleagues were really buying into the whole scandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And, they, and they were really posting to the point people were like virtue signaling and doing all this stuff. You know, I, I worked a lot in jazz and R&B and, and you know, people were like, it, it was just like really funny. I saw that I would try to tell people, you, you really... I mean, because I saw it within maybe about four or five days of researching. I started to smell bullshit really within the first couple of days. Nice and, job. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Like, that's, you know, they said it would be two weeks lockdown, right? Two weeks and now it's 10 months, right? Yeah. But, but what really happened, man, was that... And this is one thing that I'd really like to get into that I thought was really psychologically fascinating is that people were like, everybody still operates on the premise that all of this is going to stop, you know, that we're going to go back to normal, you know, whatever normal is, right? Yeah. You know, and people were all saying, oh, when we get, when everything reopens and our gigs come back and all this stuff. And there are, co- there are a couple friends of mine who really got this, right? 
and that you know these are the guys I kind of bonded more tightly to. We'd say, yeah, man, New York's a wrap. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be a ghost town before you know it. I mean, you know, the things are shutting down. They've already had most clubs have shut down. They're doing virtual things, but how long do you think they're gonna last doing live streaming at like? 25, you know, they, they don't even have 25% capacity. Basically, clubs were operating on having, say, three or four nights of packed houses, sets, having like 70 people, you know, per set, turning over 70 people every set, you know, every hour and a half. You know, they'd have people that stay. Now, and then that dwindled to one or two times at 25 people. So you do the math. And say how long that's gonna last. Yeah, how can they keep the doors open with that little tiny bit of money coming in, right? Well, a lot of it went down to people were donating. They had some underwriting from people who had, um, you know, like, you know, there were some people who had who had money. Like, for example, Whit Marsalis basically paid the whole Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra salary from September to January, when things are supposed to reopen, you know, but that's like the most exceptional NBA quality, you know, like the average musician, we're trying to get $1,000 grants from the Jazz Foundation to get things going. Yeah. Yeah. And still, everybody's talking about, oh, COVID is, is a motherfucker. And you know, COVID this and COVID that is destroying our gigs. No, it's the policies of the government that are preventing people from keeping things open that are destroying your gigs. And right. when, when I would actually tell this to people or post it on Facebook, it was like crickets. Mm -hmm. So I started to get like what really happened in all this, man, was that this really got to, I, I started to see people's character was really showing. Like people either became really fearful, you know, and the people who put on the mask and they didn't want to come within six feet of you and they acted like you had the bubonic plague, right? There were people who turned into that type of person. And then there were people who they'd wear the mask because they had to, but they still interacted in a way, they still interacted like human beings. Right. So, and, and then you had gradations in between. So it was really interesting psychologically to see what happened. And I saw so much of what Mark talked about being born out, especially living here in, as we call it, a satanic epicenter. You know? <laughs> really, it's like, you know, I mean, you know, New York, Philly, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, those, Boston, those are like Atlanta. Those are like the satanic epicenters. They're really, the globalists are really trying to corral everything into, which is why me, me and the missus are working at, you know, getting our escape hatch, you know, once our lease is up here, you know, to get someplace else just to at least feel like we don't live in a communist you know like communist china or something you know which yeah is what, which is what it basically feels like here man oh yeah here too 
And, um, you know, I, I've traveled a little bit in upper New York. There's some beautiful area and territory out when you go north, right? Oh, absolutely. Where so you guys you... thinking of going that way or something? Now we're getting out of state entirely. Oh, okay. Yeah. The thing was, Cuomo, Il Duce is still, you know, he's still like him, Newsom, and Whitmer are probably like the three biggest governors. Right, know? right. Pirates, right? There are other ones who are like second tier, right? And there are ones who are another tier below it. And then you have the people who are sort of, you know, more freedom oriented, like the Florida, Florida, South Dakota, Idaho, Alabama, you know, um, South Carolina. You have states like that that don't have as much restrictions, you know, as the others. So we're looking to go one of those places that maybe has. That makes sense. More of that, you know. I haven't um, kept up very well on what's going on in other states. You know, I just, I've really distanced myself from news completely. And when I get into research, I'm usually researching um, like old videos and documentaries from um, for the presentations I'm working on. So in a lot of ways, other than what I hear from people I talk to, I'm really out of touch with what's going on, like in the other states or in our country. And so it's always interesting to hear um, a little bit of commentary because that's how I like to get my news is through other human beings filtered by brains that I trust rather than. <laughs> well, you know, that's a the media. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least the legacy media, as they call it, right? Because the one thing, here's the way I kind of do it, is I don't quite have the psychic buttress to watch more than like maybe 30 seconds of CNN or whatever, right? But what I do is I go to places like Last American Vagabond or Whitney Webb's Unlimited Hangout, or people like that, where the people will take people in the alternative community will take the news headlines and they'll built they'll kind of do the the wrap up of the mm -hmm. that way yeah. they decode stuff. So you know that's something that I think is useful to do. I mean, and um, even if you don't necessarily agree with that person. Right. Um, you can still know it's coming, it's being filtered through this human being that sure. is more worthwhile to listen to than a scripted um, person that's just being hired to read what's been written. You know, that's a big difference. Right. A paid liar or somebody right. actually like, you know, these people like Anderson Cooper is sponsored by uh, Pfizer, you know, Lester Holt is sponsored by Merck. You know, all these, if you really do like your sleuthing, you know, your internet sleuthing, you can find out who actually underwrites all these major anchors, you know, Brian Williams or whoever, or, you know, any of these people, you can find out who really underwrites them, you know. But I, it's kind of interesting because I, I like to do the forensic research. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I do things these days, Chris. Is I I kind of collate from all of these different sources in like the Passio tradition. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really trying to call you know collate from all these different sources. Yeah, I have that kind of a bent naturally, and so I really try to be the way that I look at our path in general is that 
what I'm noticing, and tell me what you think about this. What I've been finding in looking at the so-called alternative media is what I've been finding is so many people only get a sliver of the picture. There, there, there may be three people that maybe get it like Mark gets it, you know, in terms of the, the holistic totality of everything, you know. So what I try to do is I take that as a given and I'll take pieces that are relevant and I leave the bullshit like if they get, you know, if they're Trump supporters or whatever, I leave all that crap behind and I take what they say that resonates that actually talks about, you know, beyond the left right paradigm. And I try to synthesize that and take that away. But then I realize they're not even close if they don't get the very crucial fact, which is the first thing in uh, podcast 213 that I think is so important that Mark gets is that First of all, it's like the whole concept, all the things, all the institutions basically are religions. They're <laughs> religions in the sense that they're bound, you know, religare means to bind to something. So all these things bind you to that mistaken precept, you know, that, you know, um, you know that ostensible purpose. That's what that's what they bind you to what the, you know, we can call it the cover story of what they say they are like, you know, government and authority, like you look at, you look at the, the, the current pandemic, our current situation, people believe in the authority of, you know, the medical establishment, the World Health Organization, Fauci whoever, they believe in these people as authority because they've been trained from birth to really believe that if this person has a platform, they have the authority. You know, they think, oh, well, if they're on TV, they're on this or they're this, they must have done something, they must have researched or they must have done work to get here rather than They've bought, you know, like Gates, they've bought their way in with billions of dollars or they're part of the club. So they get their entrance or politics. They've been elected, you know, they've worked their way up from a local representative to a state representative to a state senator and so far up the political ladder. They think that instead of you know, that these people, they look at it, the extent, they look at that ostensible background rather than, let's say, these people are really, um, they're, they, they've, they've kind of made, they've made compromises to get there. Right. Know? Like, how, how do you prove that you've, um, you are worthy of being listened to, you know, when you're giving information or taking information. I think right. of it like um, I'm always one to make a symbol or analogy because I've been in construction. I think of like building a house where you start with the foundation 
You know, you pour the foundation and then, and then you put a piece of wood on top of that. And then you put the walls on top of that piece of wood. And eventually the roof goes on that. Well, we, you know, growing up in our society, we, we feel like we've already built that foundation. You know, that happened when we were young in school and the things our parents taught us. And I think folks like yourself and my, and, and myself have really stood back and looked at the structure and been like, you know what, I need to tear this whole thing down, down to the ground, even break the foundation out. And that's what I had to do, you know, because I grew up in religion of Christianity and it really was a excruciating, painful process to go down to the, you know, like, like with a jackhammer and take apart that foundation and be like, what parts of this are worth saving and what parts are not. And I think that's the true one divide. That's really hard to um, discuss with people because how do you get someone to really stand back and, consider breaking their whole house down when when they're gonna you know i can remember when my mom said have you ever heard what the word assume means you know and you circle it makes an ass out of you and me and we're so used to making all these assumptions that people that have a certain hat with a star on it or they're wearing a certain costume that they're to be respected because they've earned it because they've built this castle over the years without actually looking at what that is and what are the foundations of it So I guess what I was going to ask you is, I'm curious when you, you know, broke down your castle, when you started over, what were the things that signaled you to do that? What was the change in your life? Did that happen gradually or did it happen all at once? How did that work out for you? I think how it happened for me was that I've always been a seeker in some manner or another. And how that seeking applied itself to me, I grew up in a very strict Catholic household. You know, my father was a World War II veteran, sergeant in the Marines. No, he was in Iwo Jima. And, you know, he had PTSD. Mm. So what he did was he ran our house like a military camp, you know. And you didn't question religion. You didn't question priests. You didn't question doctors. You didn't question teachers, you know. But the thing was, for me, I always had this thing in the back of my head. You know, my parents were race, you know, my dad especially was racist. He didn't grow up around black people or Hispanic people. And he had all these mistaken, you know, ideas about what they were. And I always gravitated towards those kids. And later on in life, you know, I, I always knew something was wrong with it because as a jazz musician, I was the only white guy for miles around so much of the time. So I got an education pretty damn quick, you know, so, uh, you know, an on the ground life education. But here's the thing is that I always knew from the time he said this kind of shit to me, I always knew something was wrong. I had this little thing in the back of my brain stem that just said, this is not quite right what he's telling me. But mm. at the same you have the conflict where these are your parents these are your figures that you're supposed to trust so uh, what i did was i had this natural i would always be reading about say you know islam or judaism or buddhism or something when i was 10 12 i was reading books on ram das be here now and you know, I was reading the Hob God Gita and all this stuff like this. So I was always searching. But here's the thing, Chris, is that I never broke down my actual psychic 
foundation. You know what Mark talks about your belief system, because you can take away the external trappings. Like I very quickly, Catholicism didn't really resonate for me and I found it hollow, you know, and I stopped going to church in my teens, so forth. You know, I, my parents, even I would, you know, since I was in public school, they had an after school Catholic instruction one day a week. I stopped going to that when I was 13, you know, with severe pushback from my parents. But the thing was, all that being said, with all my looking outwardly at the intellectual frameworks, I never, till later in my 20s and beyond, I started tearing down my foundation then going through various gestalt therapies and so forth. But even then, I didn't really tear down. I don't really think I tear, tore down my actual real foundations until maybe about six year, six or seven years ago was when I first encountered Mark's work and I was also doing this men's group called the Mankind Project. So the combination of those two things, you know, but more especially Mark's, you know, podcast. And boy, did I fight against what he was telling me. I, you know, I heard his delivery and I knew about his background as an ex-Satanist and I would feel something was right in it. But I also said, wait a minute, this is gloomy and dismal. It's not like this. And I fought against that. And, and gradually I came to see that when I really started to face stuff head on, because I also had a lot of girlfriends or friends who were into like things like the Lama and all these different new age spiritual paths. And for my mind, spirituality was always equated with a sort of love and light kind of thing, which I, and not getting to the deep, nasty, dirty, getting the muck out of your psychic basement. Yeah. So that's the work that really needs to be done. And I really consider that I started doing that about six, seven years ago, because from my twenties until, you know, about six, seven years ago, I somehow had the absurd axiomatic uh, idea that, you know, premise that being spiritual meant being filled with light. It didn't, didn't realize the ugliness with tearing out the foundation, you know? So when I heard Mark, what I was reacting about was I was reacting against, this is supposed to be light. There's supposed to be bliss. And he's telling me about all this horror and terror. And then I started you know, just something in me said, hold on, just really listen beneath the layers. And I stuck with it. And I really started, gradually, I started chipping away at this. And mm -hmm. I, I held to it. And as I started to see the, the truth of what he was saying, you know, and especially after hearing people like Jay Parker, and Kathy O'Brien, and hearing about all this is run by a fucking bunch of satanic motherfuckers, you know, truly dark occultists. And when I saw the true horror of that, I thought about the thing that Mark says about how if people really understood the true nature of these people, they would be energized to get out there and scream the truth from the rooftops. 
And right, I think right. so many people have not got to that layer of understanding that like what, even people in the truth community, the so-called truth community, what I'd liken it to is they're kind of seeing, you've seen the first alien movie, right? Oh yeah. The, what they see is kind of the baby alien that first pops out of John Hurt's stomach. Mm -hmm. That's what they see. They see this tiny little thing. But then at the end of the movie, when you see this big towering thing that takes up the whole screen, that's what it really is. And that's not only that, but behind that, there's a whole planet of them. Absolutely. You know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, absolutely. you know, I've, that's why I always really like the movie, The Matrix. Right. Because it really, you know, shows the awakening experience as this really scary, tough thing. You know, he wakes up in this pool of, you know, with all the stuff connected to him and he's ripping it right. off. And then he winds up in the spaceship and he's like in bad shape. He's got nothing, you know. It, right. And that's how I felt, you know, kind of coming to some of these realizations. And, and, and I realize now, you know, the people I talk to, like, it's one thing talking to people like yourself that have already done a lot of this work and we're on the same page but the real tricky part is talking to other people that haven't taken the time to go down some of these roads of research that we have you know i can remember years ago you know looking into like um the technic the technotronic or the technocratic agenda you know right. the new world order um right. and these type of things and listening to um you know hours long podcasts of different speakers. I remember the Peace Revolution podcast. I've gotten back into that through Richard Grove. And this were all on this pathway before I discovered Mark Passio's work. Right. And um, and like, you know, some of those things were hard to get through. They took a lot of time. And you, you're kind of putting these pieces together and you're realizing that, okay, there is this grand conspiracy, you know, and part of you is always doubtful of that because most of the world is doubtful that how could everything be so controlled by one source? You know, that's what people always have told me when I try to bring these things up. They don't right. want to believe that that's possible, that how could, you know, how could a government be organized? We know how crappy they're run, you know, yes. but we're saying, no, behind that, there's something else behind that. There's something else. It's like layers of this onion. So um, tell me a little bit more about your research and how you've peeled apart those layers and, and in a way that we can kind of make sense to other people. Right. I think what it is, for me, I've peeled this apart because I've kind of taken the holistic approach. I look at it as you kind of have to do this, uh, you know, to bring this out to people who may not be ready for the full-on occult aspects you have to, there's multiple layers that you can get to them. And so much of it can be connected by using the trivium method. Simply use logic in applying a, to a precept. Like, for example, you said about how people say, oh, how could all this be connected? Governments can't even get their own shit together, right? But then, you know, you look at it this way, say, okay, if you think that's the case, if you think things are so chaotic and, and disorganized, look at, look at a very simple example. Okay, we saw in the last presidential campaign in the US, Biden said, build back better. 
Justin Trudeau in Canada said, build back better. Klaus Schwab says, build back better. Now, can that catchphrase be simply a coincidence or is that a thing where that missive came from the top down, the, you know, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, you know, gave it to the, their, their think tanks to give to these presidential puppets, you know, and, you know, just let's take that as a premise. You can say to people, is it possible that these people, you think it's random that these things happen, but think of it as the world is, even if people are supposed atheists, there's a, a secular concept called intelligent design, which means that there's a governing intelligence that brings the universe together. And you start to see patterns if you look for them. Rather than saying, for example, you know, how could this things be all connected? Instead of saying, let's look at it this way. Instead of thinking how they can be connected and some kind of grand conspiracy, let's start looking for patterns. Now, the fact of my bringing up the one phrase that Biden and Trudeau and Klaus Schwab used is one example of the patterns. You can take it further and find these ways to connect these things at multiple levels. And if you start looking for patterns and really start connecting dots in that way, then you start to see if you're able to do that in a very forensic way and allow for the fact that this may be something that may shake your foundations because the way that these people who are doubters, the way that they've been indoctrinated from day one is they've been indoctrinated through the so-called educational system to look at things from a random point of view, like, oh, there's no connection. The world is random. And then you have French existentialist literature and atheism and all these things that are saying the world's just random and you have various nihilisms and so forth. But the thing is, so people have been conditioned by that aspect, even if they're not atheists or nihilists, they've been conditioned to accept that as a strong possibility because they haven't been trained to do pattern recognition. So if you hook them in by saying, think of yourself as a forensic researcher or a, a pattern, you know, a pattern finder, look at it this way. And then once you start to see things in these ways, set aside your preconceptions. And if something's uncomfortable for you, accept the uncomfortability because you know, that's where a lot of people start to chafe and balk against these type of things is they start to feel emotionally uncomfortable. And when they start to feel that level of emotional uncomfortability, they drop all this line of inquiry like hot potato. So, you know, the, the short answer is, yeah, they do this by, you know, but I think the way to do it is you have to get them in through a line of inquiry. Some people you can get by a frontal assault, you know, some people you can't, you have to go in surreptitiously. 
but it always behooves us who know, you know, have more knowledge, you know, to go in through a method of line of inquiry and to, and to tackle it in, ask them the questions and say, okay, if you think this, then what about, then why does this happen? How do you explain this? You know, put it, put that kind of question to people. And, you know, that could be a really good way to start things. You kind of have to read people. I mean, the one thing that I've been really lucky about is my background as a performer is I love people. I love talking, obviously. I love talking to people. And what I do is, you know, I love to get in and kind of read people and see what, you know, read their verbal or non-verbal cues of what, you know, what, how I can get in there, you know? And that's kind of how I do it. Everybody's different, you know, but yeah. that's, that's how I do it. And I'd be curious, do you feel like you've had um, much success? Um, my, my frustration personally has been, I have quite a few people I've talked to over the years because I've been on construction job sites. I'm always getting these conversations going or continuing them as far as I can. And I have some best friends with that I've chatted with over the years and shared videos with, but I've realized in this last year, there's some people that I thought we were getting somewhere. I thought they were starting to see some of the things I see. And now I can see like a big curtains come down and it's like, Nope, we're miles apart. And it's scary to me to realize I don't really feel like I've gotten through to people the way I would have thought maybe I had. And so I'm curious what successes you've had and whether um, you feel like you've been able to make an impression on people or see people actually change. Is it possible? Wow. That's an awesome question. I, I think that sometimes it, it really depends. Sometimes like, again, I look for things like today I was out around the grounds of my apartment building walking the dog and I talked to this woman, you know, I hadn't seen her for a while because I hadn't walked the dog the past week because it had been cold. So we saw each other, you know, she had her mask on. I didn't, but, you know, she's not one of these, you know, COVID idiots that I can't approach, you know, that's, you know, looks at me like I have the plague, you know. But she talked and, you know, I was able to talk to her about, I asked her what she was doing for New Year's, what her plans were. She said, oh, I'm going to do this. And we got to talking and I said, oh, well, you know, when she talked about testing and you don't know this, I said, well, did you know about the COVID-19 test? Did you know, you know, let me tell you something. I don't think somebody in your age group really has a lot to worry about. And I said, because look at it this way, the COVID test, and, and I'll tell you this because I said, my, you know, my wife I, I, works in a medical facility. And one of the things we found out, you know, um, is the COVID-19 test is there's no, that basically what they do is they take the, uh, I said, the test was not meant to be used diagnostically. The inventor, the Nobel Prize winning inventor of the test did not mean for it to be used in a diagnostic manner. And part of how they do the test, I said, do you know how they do the test? She said, no. 
By this time, I had her attention. So what I said to her was I said, first of all, they take genetic material. They don't even take a real piece of bacteria. They take genetic material that they put into a centrifuge, one of these machines that goes like this. And I said, the accuracy of the test is determined by the number of cycles, but it's inverse. In other words, I said, the lower the number of cycles from 25 onwards, the more accurate the test is. The test is its most accurate to 25 to 27. Above that, the test ratio goes up to 97% false positive, the further past 27 you go. And now most tests are even up to 35 or 40. And none of the testing, they don't have one testing facility that does all these. There are many different testing centers and none of them have a standard. She looked at me, her eyes were wide open. So I really had her now. So I was, you know, so I just said, look, I'm going to explain this whole thing as concisely as I can. So then I said, so look at it this way. You have this test that you can have up to a 97% false positive. And that's why you're hearing now about number of cases rather than number of deaths. And also the other thing is that the other thing you should know is that you have, when they do medical billing, what they do is they have to put a category number on a disease. So what they'll do is there's a big difference between with COVID and from COVID. And I said, with means that you have other conditions, other comorbidities, you know, like let's say heart disease, diabetes, et cetera, you know, kidney problems, et cetera, that are far more serious. And then if it's from COVID, it's simply your, you know, what is called COVID-19, which I said, by the way, is only one of five or six different pathogens, including the common cold and the flu. And I said, by the way, did you know that the CDC is not counting the cases of actual flu during flu season? Now, doesn't that strike you as strange? And she said, yes. And so I further said to her, look at it this way. If they're not counting flu deaths and all these things, you've got all this murky statistics and all of this, wouldn't you say that the numbers that you're hearing are subject to question? And she said, absolutely. So I had her, you know, so I took the time with her because she was open. So this is amazing. I'm going to go look this stuff up when I get home. And, you know, and I said, look, just remember, all you got to do is you're young, take care of your immune system, do vitamin D, vitamin C, do zinc and magnesium, you know, do these things and just take care of yourself like you would during flu season. Do not get the flu shot. Do not get the vaccine, you know, and just take care of yourself normal. You'll be just fine. And that's how we ended the conversation. Yeah. So that was an example of someone who I had a positive reaction with. 
Yeah, you know, small breakthrough, right? You know, yes. But here's the thing. I've also had a thing since I live in a large apartment building, you know, and there are multiple people going on and I refuse to wear the mask in my building. You know, I do my own, as Mark calls them, thought experiments. And I'll get on the elevator. I'll see how many, who gets on the elevator with me. Mm -hmm. you know, who doesn't, you know, and, you know, 99% of the people in my building wear masks. But, you know, and I've had various encounters with people regarding the masks. And I simply say to them, I can't, you know, I cannot wear a mask. I say nothing more. If somebody's aggressive or if they're a Karen to me, what I basically say to them is, hey, you know what? Your mask protects you. So you don't have to worry about me. If you want to really protect yourself, why don't you take the mask you think I should be wearing and wear it on top of that other one? <laughs> I saw one time someone had a little meme that said, I know, why don't you pretend or no, I'll pretend that your mask is doing something and you can pretend I'm wearing one. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely. But, you know, I'll, you know, getting to my thought experiment, what I do is, and then there are things, there are things like some people get on, they'll have a conversation with me, no problem. Some people will be a little hesitant, but they'll still get on, but they'll keep their distance in the elevator, you know, and then I talk to them, soften them up a little bit and, you know, 90% of the time by the end, they're talking. But then there are people like today, I had somebody stepped on the elevator, saw out of the corner of my eye, out of his eye rather, that I wasn't wearing a mask, stepped back off. Wow. Yeah. So stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So I'll, I mean, that's one thing. Or I'll have things like, you know, I have... You know, I talk to various people around the grounds of my apartment or whatever. And, you know, I just kind of gauge people for what their level of, you know, openness is, shall we say, you know, and I kind of go from there to see whether or not I can have any kind of a dialogue. You know, now that's totally different. Are you, you're on Facebook or no? Yeah. I mean, I haven't been there much recently, but that actually is where I found a community of people that have been following Mark Passio and I've formed a, a community um, locally here in California with other people that um, were on the same page with this stuff. And we've been meeting every week now. So right. I did find a silver lining because I've always hated Facebook. I've always thought myself that it was created as a way for the um what do you call them the three letter um agencies, yeah, the agencies to yeah. gather data data about us i really don't buy that zuckerberg or whoever he is you know really came up with this whole thing i never have and that's not like i have proof and i've researched it carefully it's just my feeling about the whole situation so right but yeah. i've come around to using it for certain things and i found this amazing community there so i do use it somewhat to answer your question the reason i ask is that you know i think largely what is useless on facebook and really a waste of psychic energy i'll have posts up you know i just have no compunction i post everything because i feel like 
you know, people have to know. And this is one way to get the word out. You know, I'll do it on all the platforms just because this is a way to get stuff out besides, you know, I'm, I just bought a WordPress site and I'm going to start publishing things on Google site, you know, Google blogs for now until I get my site up. Right but, on. but the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of times people will come on and you've got COVID idiots of various people, you know, who are, you know, who will post and aggressively try to shout you down with stuff. And sometimes I engage with them. Like my rule is I'll engage with them once and they, that's the only chance they get. You know, sometimes I'll explain. And a lot of people have fallen off, but I saw also gotten shadow banned a lot, you know, from, I haven't been outright banned, but I know a lot of people don't see my posts, you know, because right, of right. the algorithms. But, you know, I just put it out, you know, and I copy and paste shit and put it out to various platforms. So I don't just do it on, you know, Zuckbook, you know. But the reason I was asking is because I think in a large part, social media for the purpose that a lot of people use it for is useless and psychically draining. And I think that people have to, there's a guy, have you ever heard of uh, Thomas Sheridan? I've heard the I've name heard come up, but I don't know his work. By the way, he has two phenomenal books on psychopathy, and which I highly recommend. They were one thing while I was just starting to do the work with Mark. His two books, I think one is called Puzzling People, and I forget the name of the second, but both of those were instrumental in terms of really seeing the true nature of psychopathy. And what really helped me along with what I was researching, you know, with Mark's work, you know, and Jay Parker and other people, is that I really got to see the, the, the workings of psychopathy and trying to apply it to the outside world. So I highly recommend him for research. Yeah, thanks and, for sharing that. And he also has a great book called Walpurgis Night, which is a book about the occult roots of Nazism, which is a phenomenal book, by the way great primer on that for a lot of for a lot of people i highly recommend that but you know i you know like i was saying i i find that you know a lot and one thing that sheridan says is he calls facebook and a lot of these tools you know even smartphones and consumption devices like tablets or and so forth is he talks about these devices as being scrying devices where that actually you put your psychic energy in this device you know and he take that you're actually the more you type into them and put into them you're putting your psychic energy into this device and the uh the 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 device sucks into your psychic energy you know, this subject is psychopathy, um, a big deal to me right now. And, and one of my major concerns about what I see happening with the future and why I think distancing and masking are um, much worse than most people see them as, because I see it as an impediment to the future of humanity as a whole, because by blocking our basic functions of electrical communication, Things like smiles are tools that we use as humans to engage one another. Everything from 
engaging children and teaching them how humanity works to dating processes and, you know, procreation of our species, all these things, there's a wall being built in between the natural functions and it's cutting the roots and the branches off of our tree of life by, by putting these, these artificial walls between the natural flow of energy. And I remember, uh, one particular podcast I listened to years ago and I've had trouble tracking it down. I think it was from Freeman, Freeman TV. And this guy had been studying psychopaths, people that had done like mass murders and trying to understand what created that problem. Mm -hmm. And what he came up with was that those people were lacking creative play in their childhood life. They, they never had an opportunity to play with other children and to right. have imaginative playtimes. And that was what created that psychosis where they didn't have feelings and empathy. And what right. we're doing now is creating that on a mass, mass scale. All children being cut off completely from human emotion, interaction, intimacy. And how can that possibly lead toward anything but a future of more and more psychopaths? Well, it's scaring me, you know? I, I, Chris, oh my God, I could not agree with you more. And part of this is that because that's part of the plan is to drive this wedge to gradually, you know, through a thousand cuts, erase humanity. And toward, it's the path to transhumanism, which is, part of, which is part of 20, Agenda 2030. You know, because I look at this again, taking the example of what I know, walking around my neighborhood in my apartment, I see these parents putting masks on their children. And I want to scream child child abuse at these people. I want to literally run up to them and say, what the fuck kind of trash parent are you? That you're that you're creating a psychopath and you're cutting your child off to the most important thing, which is human contact, you know, and human, you know, this is how, as you say, this is how children learn. This is exactly they learn socialization, they learn connection with other human beings. And, you know, this is something that, you know, again, the psychopaths who run things understand this full well. And this is why, again, we have to educate people in the fact of psychopathy, in understanding that this is something that people are doing, that the mask is a psychic mechanism. It doesn't protect you from anything. You're rebreathing carbon monoxide. You're, you're getting eczema, you're getting dental, you know, mouth infections and teeth infections. You know, there's a condition, dentists are talking about mask mouth that people are getting through prolonged mask wearing. You know, cavities on the front of the face of your teeth that, that never existed before. Right, exactly. All these things. And, and people, because we're so indoctrinated, Humanity is so indoctrinated to think, oh, everything is random. There's no connection to all these things. That's why they don't think about that one thing could be connected to another, which is why the weaponized term conspiracy theorist, which you know the origins of it, right? Right. Um, JFK um, 
is where I've heard the yeah. beginnings of that, right? Well, it came upon, uh, at it came about as a term the CIA assets in the in the journalistic field used it in articles to disdain those people around 1966-67 when the Warren Commission came out. So that's when the term face came first came out. It was to demean people, you know, like Mark Lane, who was the big researcher, Jim Garrison, who wrote the book question, first book questioning the JFK assassination, and other people like Paul Krasner, who had a magazine called The Realist, which was one of the first non, you know, John Birch Society conspiracy theory, you know, publications. And, and I would suspect a product of one of these think tanks, you know, these type of terms where you've got people thinking long and hard about what two words can we put together to make these people all look like cranks. And then, you know, in Hollywood, you have this Operation Mockingbird going on back in those times, too, where little things here and there, they, they you, you see them in different shows. People will play little clips where they have the one crazy conspiracy theorist guy going off and saying how it's all connected. And they make this person look like a nutcase. And that little stuff sticks in our head, right? Absolutely. People fail. This is another point, Chris, I think so many people fail to get. Okay, let's, let's apply the trivium pr uh, principle to this. Okay, look at the shows we grew up on. What were they? Outside of situation comedies, right? They were lawyer shows, cop shows, doctor shows, shows about some kind of government official, some kind of movies about the good president, the good senator, the guy who was just like everybody else and wanted to do good, right? The doctor who really cared about his patients. In my generation, it was, you know, Marcus Welby, MD, as a kid, Dr. Kildare and all this stuff. You know, but then you had ER, you know, St. Elsewhere, all these shows, the doctor soap opera. Doogie, Doogie Hauser, I remember. Exactly. <laughs> the kid yeah. genius. The people, hey, there are people just like you and me. They have human problems just like us. You know, the cops, they all have human problems just like you and me. The military, they all, they're human beings just like you and me instead of their parasitic order followers, their Eichmanns. Basically, you know, so think about that. We were indoctrinated. That stuff plays into your subconscious with the whole mechanism that the TV operates on. Even the old time CRT cathode ray TV tubes, you know, and the frequencies, you know, this is one thing I know about as a musician, the, there are certain vibrations that the TV operates on a certain number of hertz, you know, that, you know, you don't hear that sets up certain brainwave patterns in you that make you more receptive for these things to be planted in your subconscious. So therefore, what do you think? Hey, doctors, lawyers, cops, military, you know, government officials, there are people just like me. They have the same problems. They're, they're, they're good people, you know, instead of, they're power-hungry, secondary, or primary psychopaths. You know, the people that they that realize, you know, you have people, or it's like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, the homespun guy who 
goes in and wants to do right against the machine, you know, you know, all the stuff like that, you know, where, you know, it's movies that are beloved for generations, but it's, it's all propaganda. And until you see the propaganda, you know, it's like everything else, once you're able to decode the propaganda, you can see really, really easily, you start to see these patterns and these connections. And it's not a question of being the crazy conspiracy theorist. It's a question of using the brain that creation and God gave to you and making these connections and using the trivium principle to make these logical connections. And then beyond that, something I try to emphasize a lot is the power of imagination. Yes. Is is really what's been destroyed in all these all these structures we've set apart. You know, like we've talked about the health industry, we've talked about religions. Well, these are all different religions now now that we're looking at it in this bigger point of view. But you talk about government, you talk about um, school systems, you talk about the law systems. All these are setting these default paths of thinking. That the, these are the roads you go down, you turn left here, you turn right here, and that's how you get to solutions. These are the solutions, right? But the the deeper um, level of being an individual uh, being and using your imagination is always looking for another option that doesn't already exist yes. and to work towards a future or work towards building something that doesn't exist yet. And the most amazing people we can think of in history that have done truly great things are people that were able to think outside of these boxes. And, and we're so trained to fall into these default pathways, these default boxes that have been created for us. Yeah. And, and so how do you convince people to reignite imagination when all these structures in place have done the opposite, dampening that by providing a default answer to every question and so when you ask, when I try to describe to someone the idea of anarchy, anarchy right. means no rulers. Immediately, people's minds go to, the last guy I brought it up, Gangs of New York, is what he said. That's what you want. You want Gangs of New York, gangs fighting each other. So his mind could only go to a default setting. It couldn't imagine. It, I'm saying, let's just talk about imagination. Let's imagine a better world. What would it look like? Can't right. do it. Right, because they think, again, a masterful piece of propaganda was taking the term anarchy. It doesn't only mean no masters and rulers, it means no slaves. And, you know, that's the other part. You're not enslaved to anything. Everything is voluntary, complete. People work together. The closest thing I've heard is there's the concept of Ubuntu within you know, Africa, which is, you know, South African language is basically the idea of communal living, but it's, it's the idea that we all come to a decision, you know, through, not through consensus, but we all come to terms. We talk, we, we talk, we talk, we talk things out. And even if there is an idea that becomes agreed, agreed upon as being the best, it still gets to by this by a situation where everybody listens to everybody else. And because the pace of society is slower, they're, they're able to make these decisions collectively and come to an idea where everybody, um, 
everybody has a hand in the decision, you know, but nobody gets left out. Tell your friend, you know, here's one way to counter your friend who says about anarchy being gangs of New York. I said, I would say to that person, well, do you realize the actual concept of democracy is really where if 51% of the people get their way, 49% are really pissed off about it. So you're going to have a thing where you're going to have slightly less than half of the people in a society really pissed off about a decision, you know, or they're not going to be happy about it in some way. So how is that beneficial instead of coming to a situation where we can all come to a situation that benefits everybody, which would come to, which by the way, we would come to if everybody followed the precept of natural law, doing no harm and sovereignty and allowing for people to live in a way that befits them without causing harm to another. That's another thing that I would tell your friend who brought up gangs of New York. I said, would you, what's, you know, think about, think about a world where people actually think about how their actions are going to impact upon another person. And they're going to act in a way that does no harm to the other person, yet it benefits them. As we know, a right is an action that does no harm to another sentient being. And that is all a right is. Because people, and tell your friend, here's the other thing that I would tell them. If you think government is so great, how is the principle that the will of the 51% imposes violence on the other 49? Or the will of a ruling class imposes violence on the rest of us. Look at masks. You know, look at these restrictions and lockdowns. This is the clearest example of government as what it really does. And pardon the pun, unmasked. They're doing it in a way where they are, these mayors, governors are causing violence to people's businesses, to people in general, by having them cover up their humanity. You know, by restricting people from making a living. You know, this is violence against the people you're, quote unquote, that you serve. Yeah, right. You know, natural, God's law, creation's law, whatever you, however you want to put it, is unchanging and immutable. Just like the laws of this 3D of reality, the physical laws are unchanging. But the fact is, one week Fauci says this, the next week he says that. The next week, one week the governor says this, the next week they say this. You know, it's the exact opposite. And by the way, none of what they say is actually a law. They're only directives or, you know, they're requirements. They're not even true laws. And how many of them are actually based in true care? You know, actually, were you actually caring about people? 
what would you say, you know, if, if it was your turn and you were in this position of power or authority and you were able to broadcast all these people, what, what things could you give to people to care for them? You know, and the things that come to my mind are giving people recommendations like you gave to the young woman, get out in the sun, get lots of vitamin D, get more exercise. Here's some, here's a list of exercises you could do. Here's some breathing techniques that have been shown to heal people. You know, you could give a list of simple everyday things people can do, you know, vitamin C that, that will boost your immune system, that will make you stronger, that, that would come from, from the heart. And, and, but what do we see in the news? Do we see any of that? No, it's all about what you should not do. And, and those things are interacting with other human beings. Those things are, you know, um, having intimacy with other human beings. Those things are everything that was described in books by George Orwell, 1984. And, um, you know, these other sci-fi stories with the dystopian future. And now it's real right in our face. And most people don't want to see it, can't see it, aren't ready to see it. But um, somehow we need to shout it out to them and get that message out. So I'm really glad that, you know, you've taken this time to um, chat with me today and I'll share this with everybody I can. So why don't you just for a couple of minutes, give your kind of closing thoughts. And um, if there's anywhere where people can find more of your work. Well, um, right now, I don't have anything published as of yet, but I'm going to be um, publishing my first blog post on Google Sites. I'm going to put it up. I just have to tweak a few things. I'll put it up either tomorrow or the next day. And I'm going to have a WordPress site that should be up in about a month or so. I think it's jimkost.com, J-I-M-K-O-S-T dot C-O-M. I think that's what it is. And hopefully I should have that together. You know, and at first it's going to be print, then I'm going to expand it into video presentations. I'm also, you know, also on Facebook and I'm going to be doing some video presentations there, you know, and besides posting about truth and natural law, I'm also going to be posting my, uh, my music as well. Awesome. Um, you know, but um, the, you know, for right now, I'm just going to be putting the word out through blogging, you know, as much as I possibly can. And to really, you know, to really spread the word, because as you say, Chris, it's our imperative right now. It's, it's past midnight. You know, we have to, we have to really put this truth out there, you know, and not just for not, and to do it in a way that we have to put the unvarnished truth out there for those who have ears to hear and for truth itself for the fact of truth the more we put it into the universe it's like playing music or art or anything you have to put it out into the universe and then the fact that you put it out is you know it's the idea it's supposed to be out there true this truth is is supposed to be out there so the thing that you know i just say the most important thing I think for people, of course, go to Mark Passio, go to people like yourself, you know, your, your work is excellent. You're building a growing body of work. I know Will Keller, people like that. Uh, the guy from Quebec, 
Domenico Frieda. Domin yeah, Dominic. And, uh, you know, of course, Mark Passio, you know, and, you know, for the other layers, I think, you know, Last American Vagabond is great. Um, Whitney Webb's great. There's also a woman, if you want to know about the Great Reset, there's a woman from Philly named Allison Haver McDowell, who's tremendous. And uh, also Corey Morningstar, Julianne Romanello. These are all people who get, you know, what this is, because I think the first layer maybe is to convince people that COVID-19 is basically what it is, is it's the seasonal flu. That's really what it is. It's a psyop. That's what we have to do. People have died, but they've died from the flu and they've died from comorbidities of the seasonal flu. And, and on a personal note, I'll say I've four of my colleagues, including one of my best friends of the past four decades, were listed as being as having died from COVID. And I know for a fact my my good friend did not. <laughs> because he uh, he had other comorbidities, you know, diabetes, dialysis, uh, so many things. I mean, the last time we saw each other, he was literally looked so unwell. I remember saying to I remember saying to my to my lady, I remember saying, you know, um, you know, when he gets back in town, I have to talk to him about his health. He does not look good. And two months later, he was gone. Mm, sorry to hear that. So thank you. But like I said, I know for a fact, I know it, you know, probably he was put, you know, they took him, they gave him a test. He had all these other comorbidities. They put him on a ventilator and that's what killed him, you know? And, but regardless of that, you know, the first layer I think is convincing people about COVID-1984, that's the first layer. Then the next layer is why it's not just that they're doing this. If they're doing this as a pretense, what are they doing this for? It's for the Great Reset, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, transhumanism, getting people to take the vaccine, which alters your irre irrevocably alters your DNA, you know, and you know, why are all these tech platforms trying to censor any reasonable questioning about the vaccine, about any of these things? Why are they so doubled up against this? You know, that's another thing to bring up, to bring up the issue, rather, of internet censorship. And the fact that so many people see this internet censorship in the left-right paradigm. I get people who say, oh, you're a Trump supporter. When I constantly call out Trump's bullshit, and I've been for 40 years, you know, since I've been around New York since he first started, I've been always calling out his bullshit, you know? And, you know, yet somehow some people, because they can only do left hemisphere, right hemisphere, A, B, since they're in that binary mode, they can only say, which is another thing, ask people, why is this quote unquote disease politicized? Why, if you question it, why 
are you considered a Trump supporter or a Republican or a right winger? Why, if you're a liberal, a Democrat or a progressive, why do you have to, the vaccine, the science, you know, all these people are right. The religion of vaccines, the religion of scientism, you know, start dissecting these things. We really, our best defense, Chris, I think really is applying pure logic and the trivium principles to discussions to really be able to take apart. If somebody throws a question at us, being able to analyze it and come back with a rejoinder from a purely logical point of view. Like for example, I'll leave you with this. Okay, here's, my qu here's a question that you might wanna bring up to all the people who support the lockdowns, who support mask wearing. I'll guarantee you donuts dollars, 99% of them say, oh, well, this is all eventually gonna go away, right? And say to them, okay, let's take your premise that all of this is gonna go away. If you knew definitively that none of these things, not only would they not go away, but they would become permanent and they would become intensified, would you still support these restrictions? That's a so, good question. Yeah. So, you know, it's something I've been asking too. And right. I think overall, you know, um, I really appreciate your point of view on this. And it's something I need to work on is getting better at dissecting the details and being able to answer. Because what I tend to do is look at it sort of from the big picture and um, the hermetic principles and say, just in principle, freedom is ultimately the most important thing. And yes. that's really what we've been disguising love as. Love is this happy, fruity, feel-good thing. It's not. It's, it's about respect and gratitude for life, and which is respecting freedom and understanding that our ability to make a choice as an individual, there's nothing that trumps individual choice. And anything that claims to is trying to destroy freedom, and that is what evil is. Absolutely. And that's why I created the end evil website and evil.life. And that's why I'm continuing to say over and over evil is the destruction of freedom. Because right. to me, that is the key issue. Everything else is details and, you know, smaller points that people need to get eventually to before we actually make a change in the world is right. an understanding of the value of freedom. So I think that's a good spot to end for today. And I think I'm really looking forward to continuing my discussion with you because I can tell you've got a lot more to say and you've been thinking long and hard about these and doing a lot of research. And I really, I really appreciate that, Jim. So thanks. Thanks for sharing with me today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, brother. Appreciate and I'm, I think it's going to take me a little bit to finish this episode yeah. up. So by the time you get your blog up, I'll probably be able to link it to this episode. I think it'll be a couple of weeks before I put this out. Right on. Yeah, I hope to, like I said, my hope is really, like I said, I'm going to start on Google Sites for now and, you know, just to get some shit up and start publishing at the rate of, I want to start one a week, just like clock. Get in the habit. Yeah, that's the way to do it, bro. Yep. Get in the habit. 
Then next, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start adding a second, and then do two a week, and then nice. going from there, and then eventually just becomes part of your routine, right? And then get the thing of where I can maybe do a video, and then start to do you know maybe in a month do a pres do a short presentation, something not complicated, mm -hmm. something you know just to get some again get something out there, you know hit this on a couple of layers, you know, a couple of tiers, because I think that's really important. I think, you know, it's really funny. The thing that I found <clears throat> is I feel like since I've really, you know, over the past couple of months, what's really happened since I realized that pretty much my career playing live music is pretty much done with the way things are going, you mm. know, because it's sad. Well, you know, I've had but it's a opening a new door, right? Well, yeah, but I've had a lot of grief about that's not to say my career as a musician is done. My plans are to do stuff on Zoom and live streaming and so forth, just because I refuse to follow these dictates of wearing a mask. Like Good for you, my man. All these people who are like, I'm seeing all my colleagues who are playing doing these live streams. Chris, it is so. It is literally makes me almost cry to see yeah. these master musicians playing with masks up to their fucking eyes, unless they're brass players. And then I hear some of them, one very famous colleague of mine went on Facebook and went on a tear of virtue singling posts about talking musicians, wear your masks, do your brass players you should even have a mask that you're able to fit you know to opens up so that you can play you can still play and still wear your mask and it was it, you should, we have to get plexiglass things put up at these at these venues you know which, which is absurd because the whole point of music in the same way and this is what virtue signaling my answer is cowardice is not a virtue Right. <laughs> but here's that they don't want to hear that. <laughs> and I've lost a lot of colleagues and friends because of my stance, but I don't care, you know, but, you know, my point in bringing this up was to say, okay, do you do realize jazz music and any kind of music played with an ensemble was a, is a social music and by creating a distance between people, you destroy the fabric of the, the essence of the music and the heart of that music. And that's another part of what they're what these Satanists are trying to do with shutting down venues here in the city for with live music is that they're trying to destroy creativity because they themselves can't create, you know? Yeah, just like we were talking about the destruction of freedom. Exactly. And creativity and love. And by the way, the, the, you know, you talk about what love really is. It's the eighth lost principle, care. There you go. You know, it really is. Man, Chris, I'm so glad great. Yeah, thanks so much, Jim. I, I do got to get going here because I got some um, dinner plans tonight, but um I'm appreciating every moment of the conversation and um, I look forward to keeping in touch. Hey, I'm glad man. we connected. Let's, me too. You know what? Let's... We'll do it again. Okay.